Okay, so welcome everybody uh, to our next episode of The Value Prop brought to you by the Pacific Basin Economic Council. And my name is Michael Walsh, as always, and uh, I am delighted to be bringing back what uh, kicked off as our co-host last year when we started all of this venture together, Luis Miguel Aboitis from Aboitis Power Corporation and Aboitis Group, a large conglomerate uh, based out of the Philippines, which uh, has multiple interests, which we'll get into in a second. I'm excited for him to be joining us all the way from California, where he's managed to escape uh, the Asian lockdowns and uh, is now in the US uh, doing some uh, obviously business and obviously hopefully gets a chance uh, not to, to sort of get out and about in California as well and maybe to the wine country. We'll, we'll find out later from that. But first of all, just to give you a little bit of background on Miguel, he previously served as the director of Union Bank and as an executive vice president, chief strategy officer of Aboitis Group before his retirement in April last, actually in 2020. He was also the executive vice president and chief operating officer and corporate business group of Aboitis Power from 2016 to 2018 and the senior vice president of power marketing and trading from 2009 to 2015. And Miguel is now currently a director again of Aboitis Power Corporation a director of ACO and a member of its board strategy and succession and compensation committee. He also serves um, as a director of DDLS, Aboitis Inc, and trustee of the Philippine Business for Social Progress, which we'll talk about as well a little bit later. Uh, and Miguel graduated from Santa Clara University, California, with a degree of Bachelor of Science in Computer Science and Engineering, and earned his master's degree in business administration from the University of California in Berkeley. He's not a director of any other public listed companies at the moment, but he's also not connected with any government agency or instrumentality, which I think is an important thing to note these days uh, for our listeners. But uh, we're going to go into and kick off, Miguel, if you don't mind, is um, some really positive news coming out at the end of last year where it was uh, announced that Jericho Inc., a Japanese uh, large conglomerate, acquired 27% stake in Aboitis Power marking a new phase uh, in the company's energy mix development to hopefully reach 50-50 thermal versus renewals by 2030. So I just thought it'd be nice if you could share what, what this um, new venture together means for the group and uh, how excited you are personally and where you see the opportunities moving forward together. Um, so Miguel, welcome to the podcast once again and uh, lovely to hear your views. This episode was supported by Make It Happen in the Philippines, the ideal investment destination. Located within one of the world's fastest growing economies, the Philippines is an ideal investment destination, offering businesses unique access to a large consumer market and excellent trade options both within Asia and beyond. Our business-friendly laws attract international companies into the Philippines, and with a government committed to creating a business-friendly landscape, there has never been a better time to make it happen in the Philippines. Thank you. Um, the Jera acquisition of Aboitis Power at the 27% uh, achieves uh, several things. One, it we are very our, our conglomerate is very weighted toward power, and we wanted a more balanced uh, uh, diversity diversification within the conglomerate. So that's one of the reasons why we sold down uh, Aboitis Power. The second reason is that you know uh, we're building coal plants, but we're not building any more coal plants. So uh, it looks like the next plants that come out will either be 
uh, gas, uh, renewable, or batteries, or any combination thereof. And so Jera is one of the biggest traders in Japan of LNG. Uh, if you build a gas plant in the Philippines, you almost necessarily have to build an LNG uh, fueled power plant because the only pipeline gas we have comes from Alampaya and that's almost at the end of its life. And so I, we think Jera is a fantastic partner to go toward this. Uh, and if we can build a business with their help and their partnership, it'd be great. Uh, the third thing is that, you know, also selling down the power business uh, gives AEV more capital to diversify and expand throughout Asia. And on that point, um, just to sort of keep it on the energy capacity side, obviously, for any country, it's so important to have a stable grid uh, supply. Uh, especially for the manufacturing side. And we talked just before we came on air and that, you know, this increase in energy requirement and mix, um, it serves well for the industrial locators and further development that you're starting to see a lot of interest again as borders reopen. How do you think, um, you know, the industrial parks will uh, sort of continue to support and, and attract people like Japanese firms other than just Jera, there's a lot of what you mentioned, light manufacturing firms interested in, in coming to Philippines. There's, um, there's many already there. Do you see the opportunities to, uh, for them to locate to the Philippines now with this additional power coming on um, and to serve what, you know, is becoming very relevant with what's going on in China, the, to serve the ASEAN market and uh, the importance of like the RCEP trade agreement that's come into force in January. Would you like to share any your thoughts there? Yes, um, we've seen a lot of uh, interest in uh, locators who want to locate and build factories in the Philippines. Uh, we ourselves have an industrial zone called Lima Land, and uh, because of that uh, interest and demand, we are actually expanding the zone to cover more area uh, so that we can attract even more locators and have a bigger base of which uh, you know, we can build facilities that serve everybody within the zone. And so um, there's a lot of interest. And I think uh, when all these restrictions are over, I think people will be flying over and, and establishing their, their factories and their new expansions all over the place, the Philippines. So the, you know, some of the challenges that a lot of the countries are facing, even here in Hong Kong, where I'm based, um, is, is a lack of available resources due to you know, the prolonged border restrictions and quarantine restrictions. So there's been a bit of a lack of labor mobility per se in the region for, I guess, ready-made skill sets. Um, but obviously we spoke a, bit, a little bit about, you know, the Philippine qualities, you know, English speaking, et cetera. Um, how do you see, you know, the BOTUS group in its wider plans outside of energy, perhaps, in tackling some of these challenges uh, in the labor area, but also in, in innovation and technology? Well, we have a lot of... Um a very young population um, and they have, uh, they're educated, but their skills are, may not be specific to the electronic sector. There, I have seen some schools where the people are, are, are college students are trained on, on how to do electronics assembly, et cetera. Uh, in fact, one of my friends has a school that does that, that trains them. Um, and so there is a, there is a base from which uh, um, people who uh, build factories can employ people uh, because there's so many light manufacturers here, 
uh, that do uh, assembly assembly electronic assembly that uh, there now is our businesses that uh, train people to to be employed into those businesses so i don't think that is a problem and um you know just sort of looking at the coming to sort of some of the trends and operational risks uh, that you may have witnessed over the last year as and also as the philippine economy starts to reopen in an election year what are some of those that you're seeing and hearing about you know now that things are starting to open up again well um about two years ago our, one of our biggest industries was called pogo uh, philippine online gaming operation and these are uh, proxy gambling facilities in the philippines um that allowed Chinese from China to gamble remotely from China because gambling is not allowed in China. And so what happened just before the pandemic was that uh, the Department of Finance clashed with these businesses. Uh, and they said that, you know, you, you're not paying the right taxes or you're not paying any taxes at all. So they had a compromise and they came out with one set of clear taxes that everybody would, would be charged. And, you know, this... Um, this made some of them leave the country. Then COVID happened. So a lot of them stopped their operations. Uh, the question is, will they come back? And the, re the reason it's a very big question is that they represent somewhere between 10 to 15% of the rental business in the Philippines for both residential and office space. And so they are that's a big, big factor in the real estate industry. No, that's very big. I mean, that's quite a substantial risk in some ways that, that could happen, depending on how it pans out. As you say, uh, you know, you mentioned before to me that, you know, China has the tools to, to stop this at the moment. They haven't necessarily moved to do that just because the border restrictions is already preventing activity um, during COVID so much. But it'll be interesting because obviously there's a there's different parties interest there, um, obviously, with. Uh, some Macau interest in the Philippines as well in terms of the infrastructure there that was big investments done not that long ago. Um, That's right. To, to have to relocate just because of tax regulations would be would be a big hit on that whole group's strategies. Um, so from that, uh, Miguel, um, obviously an area that you're really interested in from what we've spoken about before is around technology. Um Obviously, you've left your role at the Union Bank, but you know you were the chairman. I don't know if you still are the chairman at the Technology Steering Committee. Is there anything on the banking side um, that you're seeing, not necessarily at Union Bank, but just in in the in the sector that is exciting you uh, that maybe have been accelerated due to COVID? Well, one of these things that that's been uh, moving quite fast and very popular among the young people uh, is uh, cryptocurrency, and so there have been a lot of um, providers that uh, provide currency, cryptocurrency exchanges or conduits uh, between fiat currency and cryptocurrency in the Philippines. And one recent one yesterday, uh, it was announced in the news that they received $50 million of funding from Tiger Global VC and a few others, one of them including a subsidiary of Union Bank. So, so that is uh, quite an exciting sector in the Philippines and actually around the world. And somebody today I talked to, and I, I don't know if the figure is correct, but uh, somebody told me that all the investment in cryptocurrency about just about matches the, all the investment into gold around the world. So you can see 
uh, you know, um, the gold being the older generation and the cryptocurrency being the younger generation have a different taste in investment. Yeah, that's, that is a, an interesting trend and way to look at it. Yeah. And because some people have said the Bitcoin itself uh, is a potential to be an alternative to gold. And then the Ethereum and the other currencies on top are literally the, the mechanisms to trade. Uh, so we, I don't know if that's necessarily a true statement, but it, you know, time will tell, I guess. Um, but and as you say, we you know at PBEC as well, we have a few members in that sector, you know, uh, from derivative exchanges in the crypto side to uh, to, the, to the actual currencies themselves uh, who are doing it. and and the conduits to that, as you mentioned before, you know these these companies that are facilitating the transactions um, are going to see i mean at the, that's why you're seeing the big move by all the banks in particular and central banks to uh, addressing digital currency of the fiat currencies um so i think china is going to be one of the first movers on that on after the winter olympics is out the way we'll probably see more um announcements around the digital currency of the rmb uh, which i think hong kong is hoping to get be a piece get a piece of the pie of that because they've already been uh, a clearinghouse for RMB for the last three to four years. And I think they would hope that that will just increase the volumes further uh, to help Hong Kong recover from this current uh, Omicron variant uh, outbreak in the coming months ahead. So just moving, I want to shift gears a little bit, Miguel, with you, because obviously you you wear multiple hats in, in, in your organization. And I think an interesting area, which, comes back to what we spoke about before and some of the challenges to address skill sets is your role as director at DDLS, um, which obviously is a joint venture with the Adventure Company, I think I believe from Australia and uh, Aboitis right. Impact Ventures, which is obviously the arm of Aboitis that is, is investing in this. Maybe. That's so what, right. So what um, are you seeing early demand and successes witnessed from that uh, venture together? And could you share more about the initiative going forward you know do you have some further strategic plans to to grow that business in the philippines yeah so what ddls does is it trains people for certified courses for a specific type of software or a specific type of services uh, two of the most common training uh, sessions are really uh, amazon web services and azure by uh, from microsoft and so when people are shifting between uh, their physical servers in their, uh, in their premises and they're buying new generation software, usually the shift is that they'll buy the software that's on the cloud. But in order to manage the cloud, they have to train their IT people from learning how to manage uh, disks and hardware inside their facilities to learning how to manage and secure uh, cloud-based uh, disk facilities and communication facilities, and then load that software onto that uh, uh, facility. Uh, so they get their SAPs, they get their oracles, et cetera, and they load it onto that. So um, basically we provide the courses that allow the IT staff to transition between that. Uh, and so those are the two most popular courses that we have. And do you, I mean, obviously, uh it's an area that's just going to continue to grow as, as employers that's require right. those, those skill sets. 
<laughs> well, also what what has happened is because uh, because Philippines is English speaking, our our classes are in English. Uh, we're actually doing some remote classes in places in Asia that either don't have classes or don't have English speaking classes or countries that are not as developed or are remote uh, and and have to uh, you know train their people but couldn't physically deliver them any elsewhere so they would they would be given online classes and on tests from DDLS fantastic so um the and as we sort of come to a towards the end part of this discussion now i think it's really important you know especially because of covid you've seen and read about in some ways the responsibility shift from a society point of view from um you know employers especially larger companies uh, there's like an increased expectation in some ways to to have to be more involved in social enterprises and and sort of purpose-driven initiatives that include the local community and the wider sort of environmental impact side as well just by um you know the cop latest uh meeting last year in Glasgow so there's a bit of a momentum building but I obviously you know a company like Abuitas has been doing this for years already uh, giving back to society and uh, developing uh, you know and both physically developing like improving roads um, you know parks for for the for the local communities to enjoy leisure parks and everything like that but I thought it would be interesting for you to have a chance to just talk about uh, PBSP, the Philippine Business for Social Progress, and some of the great work they're doing there as you're in a trustee. Um, I looked at uh, recently, you know, they, they did a bit of a virtual talk because they couldn't meet uh, physically the future of doing good. And some really key areas come up that, you know, are common themes, not just in the Philippines, but across the region, you know, due to the COVID society, you know, um, COVID issue. So just wanted if you wanted to share one or two things, maybe Give a little bit about what what the background of that organization does and um how you know you got involved and and what your what the good stuff is is coming from that yeah so philippine business for social progress is an organization composed of uh, a lot of the largest businesses in the philippines where everybody got together uh under the leadership of mani pangilinan of metro pacific group and, and basically, everybody agreed to contribute the percentage of their earnings uh, to PBSP to do social good in the Philippines. And, you know, there are a lot of initiatives that, that they have. Uh, sometimes they partner with foreign contributors to combat, for example, malaria uh, or dengue or, 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 or other things in the Philippines, uh, other problems in the Philippines. Um, most recently, whenever there is a typhoon, uh, or, or some type of a disaster, uh, it comes out and starts, uh, you know, arranging for logistical help and and arranging to channel donations to those areas. So PBSB is like the, uh, it's like everybody in the industry getting together and say, let's do something together, let's do some good for the country. And so that's been going on for many years. And and Aboitis was a, a member from the very beginning. And so that's how I got to be on the board because Boyd's appointed me to be on the board of uh, DBSP. I said that's a great example of what could, you know, of sharing, uh, if you like, a structure that could work well in other countries in the region. I, I don't see that um, structure in other ASEAN countries so much, you know. Uh, maybe there are 
some contributions done by the private sector, but not in that sort of structural, organized way, uh, which I think centralized uh, from a business perspective, which could be um, mirrored, if you like, especially with the increased environmental risks coming from um, you know, the carbon increase that are going to continue through 2030, even though there's all these initiatives to reduce carbon, you know, China is only going to level off past 2030. So it's going to only increase for the next uh, decade before it starts. Right. To hope, and we don't know if it's going to come down fast enough. So uh, there's going to be more extreme weather events, I'm sure, in the region. And it, it's always I feel sorry sometimes for the Philippines. They always seem to be in the path of most storms coming from. Well, I think Philippines <laughs> are the crossroad of uh, typhoons and earthquakes and yeah. volcanic eruptions. So, so it's we're never right boring. in the middle of them all. Never boring. So, um, and so with that, I would just like to uh, conclude, as we always have done before, Miguel, as you know, is would you like to share one or two of your predictions for the year coming? You know, we just entered the year of the tiger. Uh, happy Year of the Tiger to you, Miguel. I hope it's a, a good one for you. Um, but anything you'd like to share with our audience today? Well, um, my bold prediction is that by June, everybody is going to look for accumulated vacation somewhere nearby. And by December, all our logistics problems will be solved or things will now no longer be as backlogged. Uh, shipping containers will be back to their normal price. Right now, that's four times what it used to be. Uh, and 2023 is the first full year normal of normalcy, full recovery. Well, you heard it here first, uh, people, from Miguel. <laughs> so, thank you, Miguel. Are you going to have a chance to go down to the wine country at all? You're in San Francisco. Um, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I, I used to study near San Francisco and drinking the best wine is better done in the city than in the wine country because, uh, you know, it's pretty far between wineries and the, the wines that you get in the wineries are limited to a few, uh, whereas the wine bars in San Francisco are really the place to go. Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah. Unless you have a helicopter, you know, from my aviation background and you can hop around very easily. Uh, I, you know, I don't think they will let you, I think you need a permit to land in certain areas. You would know better than me, but I think you need permits. Uh, we can get it done for a Boitis. No problem <laughs> at all. Yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway, look, Miguel, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'll leave it there, folks. And uh, thanks for joining. Uh, Till next time. Take care. Be safe. Be well. Stay safe. The Value Prop Show is brought to you by PBIC. Pacific Basin Economic Council. Your co-hosts are Miguel Aboites and Michael Walsh from PBEC. Subscribe on our LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter. Thanks for watching and listening, and see you in the next episode.